It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more past resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. If you've ever watched the show called According to Jim, all right, look at, man, what do the rest of y'all do? I watch TV. There's this show on TV. It's a goofy show called According to Jim. I think it's Jim Belushi. Is that his name? Jim Belushi is the star. And so I thought about how could I represent that? So I thought about, you know, dressing up like him. And then I started thinking, well, he's middle-aged. I hate to admit that, but he's middle-aged. He likes to watch TV. He's got a hot wife. He his His wife has a goofy brother, and uh, and they just kind of, and I thought, man, I don't have to dress up to pull that off, man. That's who I am. I'm middle-aged, balding. I got a hot wife and a goofy brother-in-law, so I'm not going to dress up like Jim. If I wore a flannel shirt, I could be Jim. But here's the premise. The premise of the whole series on TV is that the, it, there's this family, and they just lack common sense, right? They're just kind of goofy. They lack common sense. Well, what I want us to do is, I want us to think, have you ever just met an ordinary, average person? Maybe they're not the smartest person you've ever met. Maybe they don't have this big, long list of degrees behind their name. But they just have this uncanny ability to say the right word at the right time. And they have this just common sense wisdom about them. And right when you need it most, you can turn to them and they give you great insight. You, do you know anybody like that? I know people like that. Well, that's kind of what I want us to look at because... Uh, the information that we're going to look at over the next five weeks is from a guy named Jim. Now, you got to understand, Jim didn't have the education that perhaps Paul had, and he probably wasn't a, as slick a, as a speak, uh, of a speaker as Peter. But Jim had this uncanny ability to share common practical, everyday wisdom that if we would listen to it and if we would apply it, it would change our life. But what I've discovered that is that in the New Testament, in his short writings, he discloses, if you will, some truth that I believe are the most practical and the most helpful for us, but they are also pieces of truth that are probably the most unlived truth revealed in the New Testament. And so what we're going to do is over the next five weeks, we're going to look one chapter a week. Now, those of you that were here in one prayer and you got spooled of 26-minute messages, can't pull it off, sorry. Uh, Y'all just better pray. He doesn't have like a chapter that's got 90 verses or you're all in trouble. But we're going to turn in your Bible, or it'll be on the screen for you, to Jim chapter 1. Y'all do know Jim is short for James. Okay, just to make sure y'all stay with me now. Y'all got to talk back to me. We're going to be here a while. Jim chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In the Message Bible, it reads like this. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. 
Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. The first practical thing that Jim teaches us is this. According to Jim, we must have the correct perspective on the purpose of testing. See, testing is not supposed to destroy you. Testing's purpose in your life is not to destroy you. It is to develop you and to produce in you perseverance and patience and maturity. Some of you are mad at God right now and you're mad at people right now because they are testing you and you think that they are your enemies. However, it could very well be that God is being a good friend to you and bringing testing into your life to produce maturity in you. And Jim says, you know what? Don't try to escape too early. you got to have the right perspective on testing and understand that when God allows difficult situations and circumstances to come into your life, He is trying to do you a favor. He is trying to grow you up. And so, in other words, Jim is saying this, quit complaining about the test and pass it already. Ah, y'all don't like me. That's all right. Just quit belly aching about your test and pass it already and graduate to the next test. Because if you flunk the test, if you bail out of the test, if you eject, push the eject button and get away from the test too soon, guess what? You got to go back and take it again. I just came to tell you this morning that God is more committed to your character than he is to your comfort. God will actually disrupt your comfort to get your attention so that he can develop your character. He is absolutely committed to making you, to causing you to grow up, and he will do whatever he has to do to shake you out of your apathy, to get you off of your 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 reputation and and your your ease of life and shake you to get you to start growing again some of you've stopped growing and i can promise you at the moment that you stop growing you will sun, suddenly find yourself faced with a test because god is so concerned about your character that he will jack with your comfort to get your attention Y'all are quiet in here this morning. I knew you wouldn't like that, but that's all right. It's the truth. we got to get the right perspective on testing and understand that he is trying to grow us. I've told you on at least two occasions that an unresisted life is a wasted life and it is a weak life. I have been trying to convince you that the tests that you're going through now, anybody going through any tests right now? The trials that you're facing right now, they can destroy you if you will have the wrong perspective. But if you will understand that God is trying to grow you up, you'll have the right perspective and you will persevere. Perseverance. See, our trials, what they do is they produce in us patience. That's a cuss word, by the way. Have you ever seen a more impatient society or generation in your lifetime? We want it right now, yesterday. We want everything convenient. We want everything right now. We don't want to wait on nothing. 
We, we don't want to be inconvenienced, but we've got what, so out of that, what we do is we try to escape all pain and any pain, and we will medicate our pain. I, I'll drink my pain away. I'll shop my pain away. I'll vacation my pain away. I'll, I'll flirt my pain away. I'll medicate myself to get away from pain. And God is saying, no, no, endure the pain. Pain is not your enemy. It's your friend. It's trying to grow you up. So according to Jim, we've got to get the correct perspective on the purpose of testing. Then he goes on and he says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Or as the King James Version says, he is unstable in all of his ways. The Message Bible says it like this, people who worry their prayers. That's an interesting phrase. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. According to Jim, here's a novel idea. According to Jim, we should ask God for wisdom. That's an odd concept. We should ask the God of all wisdom for cars. And for houses. No, he says, ask God for wisdom. See, I, I'm convinced that the Bible teaches us this. We have not because we ask not. I wonder how many of us go through our life on a daily basis and we don't have any wisdom because we have failed to ask God for wisdom. Jim says that he gives it generously and yet we don't ask. I, I, I'm convinced that most of us just need a good old, a good old heaping help, help, helping dose of God wisdom. And yet what I've discovered is that what we'll do is we'll ask advice and we'll ask opinions of everybody else but God. What do you think I ought to do? Where should I go to work? Who should I marry? How, what color should I paint my house? What car should I buy? What relationship should I be in? We'll ask everybody else except the God of all wisdom. See, there's two sources of wisdom. There's wisdom based on limited knowledge and experience. I got news for you. I don't have all the wisdom. The truth is, is that some of you are going through cert, cert, uh, certain aspects of your life right now and certain trials and tribulations that I have no wisdom for because you know why? I've never experienced that. Never. I don't understand what you're going through. I, don't, I, I can't fathom, you can't fathom what I'm going through. So I am limited in my knowledge and limited in my experience. But there is another source of wisdom where God steps in who has access to all wisdom and all experience. And he has wisdom beyond our imagination. We just don't get that wisdom because we fail to ask for that wisdom. I got some novel ideas. Need wisdom in your business? Ask God. Need, need some advice for your marriage? I got some. Ask God. Need, need some insight on how to raise that little brat that's living in your house? I got some insight. Ask God. 
He's the God of all wisdom. And Jim says we should ask him. Need some medical expertise? Ask God. See, I bring that to your attention because I'm afraid what we do as believers is we turn to God as our last resort. He's not our first option anymore. We only turn to him to validate what we've already been told by others instead of vice versa. I got news for you. The wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of your husband. The wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of your wife. The wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of your counselor. The wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of your family. The wisdom of God trumps the the wisdom of the greatest thinkers on this earth. The wisdom of God trumps it all. And when we get his wisdom, we should uh, we should allow that wisdom to speak to us and to challenge us and direct our lives, not somebody else's wisdom. Well, Steve, are you saying we shouldn't ask wisdom from it? No, no, no. The Bible says that there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors and multitude of counselors. But what I am saying is that when God says it, it's true, regardless of what anybody else says. And so we must return, according to Jim, and go back and ask God for wisdom. Then he goes on and he says, out of that same passage, he, according to Jim, I'm not making this up, this is just what Jim says. He says, doubt has destructive power. Because he says this. He says that your doubt will destroy your prayers. Catch this now. I didn't make this up. Jim says this. He says, any man that prays with doubt in his mind, in his spirit, should not expect to get anything from God. So you can come in here and pray the most eloquent prayers you know how to pray, and you can beat your chest and pull your hair out and turn blue in the face, but if there's a thread or a shred of doubt involved in your prayer where in the back of your mind going, God doesn't love me, God's not going to answer me, there's no way he's going to respond, at that moment you've wasted your time. Because he says, that man should not expect anything from God. Lack of an answer for your prayer may not be an indication of an uncaring God. Some of you just don't think God cares about you because you've prayed and asked and he's never responded. Could it be that perhaps you have prayed an unbelieving prayer? Keeping all your options open. I'm going to pray to ask God to help me, but if he doesn't, I got plan B worked out. Doubt. Doubt is destructive to your prayers, but doubt is also destructive to your lives. See, doubt causes us to be double-minded, split-headed, if you will. And the end result, according to Jim, is that we become unstable in all our ways. A doubt-filled life is a destroyed life. Doubt is deadly. It shakes the very bedrock of your life and makes you unstable in all your ways. Ways. Let me say that one more time and catch my emphasis. Doubt makes you unstable in all your ways. That means that if you've got doubt in your mind, it doesn't just affect your prayer life. It doesn't just affect your worship life. It doesn't just affect your Bible reading life. It doesn't just affect your worshiping life. It has implications. It destroys 
all your life you become unstable in all of your ways. That's why you can't hold it together at work. That's why you haven't been able to hold it together at school. That's why you're unstable at home and unstable in your neighborhood and unstable in the mall and unstable at the grocery store and unstable everywhere you go because doubt is destructive. And so we've got to get to this place where we come back to where we believe God and we trust Him. Can I challenge you this morning? Trust God. Lock, stock, and barrel. Pray. Ask Him what you need. And then trust God. He'll come through. Y'all quiet this morning. James chapter 1 verse 9. The brother in, in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms fall and his beauty is destroyed. In the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. I like the way the message Bible says that it says well that's the picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment, everyone is looking on in admiration. It fades away to nothing. According to Jim, our standards are messed up. What are you saying, Steve? I'm saying that Jim says that the humble are high and the rich are low. And we are so commercialized and so possessed by our possessions that we cannot measure correctly. We judge our station in life not based upon happiness, not based upon health, not based upon our wholeness. We judge our life by the car we drive and the clothes that we wear. Our standards are all messed up. And so what I do is I try to kill myself getting what that neighbor down the road has even though I don't like them. Some of you right now are killing yourselves trying to compete with people you don't even like or know. That, that house three doors down that's got that car that you so envious, you don't even know them. You don't even like them. But you will kill yourself, work yourself to the bone, throw your family away, throw your health away, throw your wholeness away because our standards are messed up. And I am saying to you that Jim says to us that we've got to get our standards correct and understand that we should base our life on who we have and who has us. And so he says, stay content and humble. G. Campbell Morgan said it like this. He says, if you make your fortune on earth, poor, sorry, silly soul. You have made a fortune and stored it in a place where you cannot hold it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of the new morning. We cannot lay up our treasures on earth. It is not characteristic of those in his kingdom. It was characteristic of the Pharisees. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to get my standards right and understand that I judge my station in life based upon happiness and wholeness and God's goodness to me. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test of time or withstood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, evil nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I love the way the Message Bible says it. It says the temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Get this picture. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. And that baby's name is sin. And sin grows up to adulthood and becomes, I love this, a real killer. According to Jim, we have to man up and accept responsibility for our own sin. Can I tell you this morning that if you're involved in sin, you cannot blame anybody but you. God does not cause you to sin. In fact, the devil does not cause you to sin. The devil tempts you to sin. But if you sinned, guess whose fault it was? Yours and mine. See, we've got to come back to this place as believers where we learn to respect the process of sin again. Hear me this morning. Sin starts small. That's a profound statement. Most likely none of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to go out and kill everybody I know. Serial killers don't wake up one morning and just say, I'm going to kill everybody I know. You know that when they trace them out, most of them in their history have some type of an addiction to pornography or had something happen to them when they were young that warped their mind to where they don't think like we think. And now, 10 years later, now they react. Sin starts small. That's why I can talk to my cousin who's an alcoholic and find out that it started small. It was just one drink. He didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to drink myself to death. He said, I just want one drink. Sin starts small, but sin is a seed, and a seed always grows up unless we are diligent to continually uproot that thing. We have got to come back to this understanding of this reality. The wages of sin is death. It's a real killer. The wages of sin has never and will never change. And I think as believers, we have forgotten that. And so we can dabble in it, and we can tiptoe around it, and we can justify it, and then we act amazed that it had impact on our life, but sin is a real killer. See, there's some things that you need to know about sin. The fact is, is that sin will always take you further than you wanted to go. That's why people who have been involved in sin, at the end of it, they come back and say, I didn't really mean for it to hurt so many people. It always goes further than you wanted it to go. And it always keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. We got to remember that. That sin will keep you involved in that thing. That's why you got to be careful what you watch on TV. That's why you got to be careful what you watch at the movie. That's why you got to be careful and guard your computer because sin will take you further and it will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And you know the third one, right? It costs you more than you wanted to pay. Always. See, sin pays off with interest. 
And not only is it interest, it's compound interest. That's why I, I am encouraging you and challenging you from the book of Jim this morning that you've got to go back and count the cost of sin and take an account of what that thing is going to cost you before you get involved and recognize that it's not worth the pain and it's not worth the effort and it's not worth the agony and the fallout and the destruction. It will cost you more than what you thought it would. It may have seemed innocent in the beginning because that's how they paint it for us. You, re- you do realize that Hollywood paints sin pretty. They never show you the destructive end because they know if they showed you the destructive end, you wouldn't get involved in it. It always costs us more than we wanted to pay. And so we have to accept responsibility and man up and deal with the destructive sin of our own lives and quit blaming God or anybody else. There was an old hymn that you sing. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my father. It's not my mother. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. None of those folks could sin for me. It's me. We've got to come back to that place. Jim goes on and he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The King James says there's neither shadow of turning. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. According to Jim, catch this, you need to hear this in this economy. You've got to hear this. According to Jim, our employer is not our God. Our family is not God. Our friend is not God. Our talent is not God. Our hard work is not God. Our sweat is not God. Our effort is not God. Those things are merely channels, and those channels can dry up, but the source will never dry up because every gift, if you have a good gift in your life, I can point you back to the source. It wasn't a good gift from your wife, and it wasn't a good gift from your grandmama. It was a good gift from God. That is the source. Every good gift comes from God, period. And so if our job is not our God and our family is not our God and our friends are not our God and our talent is not our God and our hard work is not our God, then quit treating them like they are. And quit banking on them and counting on them when you should be counting on God. See, James makes it clear that God is the source of all blessings. He makes it clear that there is no variation in God. What does that mean? That means God does not change. That means, catch this this morning, if you don't catch anything else, that means that when God makes up his mind to bless you, he will never change his mind about that fact. I like that. Because the Bible's, well, when did he make up his mind to bless me? Oh, I don't know. It just said that when Jesus came, he came to give us life and life more abundantly. What does that mean? That means wave upon wave upon wave upon wave of blessing. That's literally what it means. And so he has made up his mind to bless you. God is intent on blessing you. He will never become convinced otherwise. He is intent on bringing good things to you. And so Jim says, you will never encounter the shadow of turning. Anybody ever? had somebody turn their back on you 
I've had people turn their back on me. There will be people that will turn their back on me, but there's one person, one individual that I will never encounter. I will never experience as long as I live. The shadow of God's back turned towards me saying, I cannot bless him. I don't want him anymore. I'm not in love with him anymore. There is no shadow of turning. And so every morning, mercy hounds me. Every morning, goodness is coming my way. Every morning, blessings are coming my way because he's made up his mind about me. Look in your checkbook all you want to. It may say zero, 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 but God still hasn't changed his mind about blessing you. Go talk to your doctor and your doctor may say they're sick. You're sick and you're going to die. I still got good news. God has never made up his mind to quit blessing you. You will never as long as you can count on it, you can take it to the bank. God will never make up his mind not to bless you. You ought to be excited about that fact this morning because God is good. Jim goes on and he says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Message Bible. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue and let anger straggle along in the rear. In simple humility, let our gardener God, I love this, let our gardener God landscape you with the word. Making salvation, making a salvation garden of your life. So according to Jim, we should have big ears. Small mouths and a slow fuse. You ever have one of those guys on the side of the road that in those little booths draw your picture? You know, when they when you get it back, you go, good gracious. I didn't know my head was that big. And my chin was that small. And my ears were plates. And, you know, one of those guys, they are drawing what's known as a caricature. The definition of a caricature is a pictorial representation in which the subject's distinctive features or peculiarities are deliberately exaggerated. And so what Jim says is that if we are going to be Christ's, we are going to live for him, we are going to model him, we are going to give our lives to him, then when people look at us, they should see Big ears, small mouths, and a slow fuse. That's what they ought to see. I wonder how many of us have big mouths and little ears and a quick temper. Some of us will leave today in the same hands that we raised in worship. <laughs> when they cut us off trying to get on Northwest Expressway, we'll raise that hand again. Because we can't live up to that caricature of what we're supposed to be. How do we deal with a big mouth and with a quick temper? How do we do that? Jim tells us how. You, you missed it, didn't you? He gives us the solution, the remedy. He says this. The word that is planted in you should be reshaping you. <laughs> that means that, that if you are 
getting word intake on a Sunday morning, and, and I'm going to harp on it because, see, if you don't have enough word in you, what will happen is you will be quick to respond, and you will be sharp, and you will be harsh, but if you would just get enough word in you and let it apply in your life and let it take up residence in your life, suddenly you would find that you've got a smaller mouth and bigger ears and a slower temper because that word can save you. It can reshape you. And so let me just get on my soapbox and remind you that we're asking you for four minutes a day. Five days a week. Why? So at the end of the year, we can say, oh, I read my New Testament through. No, has nothing to do with it. I've thought about giving certificates out to those that did it. You know what? I'm afraid you'd put it on your wall and be happy that you read it through so I could get my certificate. And I hope they get another one next year. No, it's not about that. It's about getting word intake and allowing that word to shape you so that you'll shut your mouth and handle your temper. And that ties into what Jim says next because he goes on and he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So according to Jim, catch this, don't miss this. According to Jim, listening to one sermon a week doesn't get the job done. I didn't see that in there. Yeah, it does. It's there. Because he says, word without action is useless. Can I ask you a question this morning? How short is your memory? Okay, I know you've been drinking Diet Cokes. And that stuff in Diet Cokes kills your memory. I understand. But how short is your memory? Because too many of us come into services like this and we hear the word. But before we can get out the door, we have forgotten the word and we have not put the word into action. Listening to one sermon a week is not enough. We must begin to live out what we hear and put action to it. If you don't, the word that you're hearing, if it doesn't affect how you're living, it has no use in your life. Don't just be hearers, be doers. And then finally, James says this. Aren't you glad there's not 54 verses? James says this. If anyone considers himself religious, <laughs> if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Then he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faithful or faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by God or by, by the world. So G Jim says this, catch this. According to Jim, your tongue tattles on you. You can go through all the religious contortions, all the religious incantations. You can go through all the rituals you want to and exercise and, and, and religion and all that stuff. But the moment we open up our mouths, our tongue tattles on us and reveals who we really are. <laughs> Out of the abundance of the mouth, or the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, another way you can say this is whatever's in the well is going to come up in the bucket. And I wonder how many of us, 
reveal who we really are. Not by how hard we worship on Sunday morning or how much we pray at prayer meeting or how many chapters we read in the, during the course of the week. I wonder how many of us open our mouth and our tongue tattles on us because, see, your gossip trumps your eloquent prayers. Your cursing trumps your praise. Your criticism trumps your sermon. Your slander trumps your song. Our mouth reveals who we are. Get real practical. So come in here and work yourself up in the sweat and get your good old lather going on and praise and dance and shout and sing and snort and slobber all you want to. But at the moment you walk out of here and get on Facebook and post some of the things you face, your tongue tattled on you. Well, that went over huge. That's just truth. Because our tongue reveals who we really are. And at the moment that what we speak with our tongue does not line up with how we live our life, our religion is worthless. So according to Jim, there are two things that get God's attention. And let me just say to you that the thing that does not get God's attention is our talk. God is not impressed with our religious talk. Oh, come on, y'all know how to talk religious. We do it every Sunday. How you doing? Blessed. Highly favored, yeah. Like that one too. Religious talk. God is not impressed by that. That does not get God's attention. But let me just share with you what does get God's attention. Jim says there are two things that cause, and then I'll be done. He, he says there's two things that cause God to get up on the edge of his throne and look over the banister of heaven. And when we do these two things, God pinpoints us and he starts to pay attention to us. And it gets all of his attention and focus on us. There's two things. It's not our talk. The two things are our touch and our walk. I didn't see that. Yeah, it's there. Because he says true religion, the kind that God is drawn to, is when we reach out to those that are untouchable. It didn't say untouchable. It said widows and orphans. Yeah, but in the day that Jim was writing this, widows and orphans were untouchable. They were cursed. So come in here and dance all you want. Bounce off the walls. Use all of our Kleenex up all you want. But that's not the... Religion that will get God's attention. The religion is those of you that will come out and serve hot dogs to untouchable folks. Those people that will hang out in apartment complexes full of people that nobody wants, that society has looked down on, that has, that has marked them as Section 8. We drive by and go, I'm glad I don't live there. And we come in here and we do our little jig and dance and go home. And Jim says, God doesn't even notice us when we do. But the moment we pull up in those places and we set up camp and we hand out a hot dog and we say, how you doing? We don't even say, be blessed. Because the fact is that when we hand them the hot dog, they were blessed because they didn't have one before. And we touch and love on people that nobody else wants to have nothing to do with. At that moment, God says, that's real religion. That's what it's really all about. I noticed them. So you're not going to hear me ever say, I hope. I hope I won't forget because I, well, I haven't drunk any Diet Coke, but 
I don't ever want to stand up here and say, God, give me a church full of worshipers. No, give me a church full of hot dog cookers. Because at the moment that you take time out of your busy calendar and you go hang out with and associate with people that nobody else wants to associate with, at that moment, you worshiped. Genuine, real. And I'm not just hung up on the hot dogs because maybe you can't get here on a Wednesday night, but I would sure love for you to cook a hot dog, whatever that means to you. Maybe that means taking somebody to eat. Maybe that means gassing somebody's car up. Maybe that means just hugging somebody up at work. Maybe that means loving on somebody in your neighborhood or at your school. At that moment, you genuinely worship God, and it gets his attention. Then he says the second thing that gets God's attention is not just our touch, but our walk, because he says at the moment that we begin to live our lives pure, he says don't become polluted by the world. I'm going to make a statement to you, and then I'm going to close quickly. Like attracts like. You do understand that, right? The reason most of you are sitting in this room this morning is there's because somebody in this room like you, and so you're attracted to this place because there are people like you. Like always attracts like. How do we get God's attention? We live holy. Holiness attracts holiness. Why? Why would that be? Because the Bible says God is holy. So when we begin to put our efforts into living uprightly and righteously, at that moment we become like flame. And God is like a moth. And he wants to, ooh, I kind of like, ooh, they're tr- ooh, they're tr- I think I'm going to get close to that group of people. They're trying to stay far away from sin as they can. Ooh, they're, they're watching where they go and where they walk. W- ooh, I love. And he tries to snuggle up close to us because he's attracted to people who are trying their best, knowing they can't do it by themselves. Because we can't. That's legalism. Can't do it on our own. But we stand before God and we say, with you as my help, I will not allow that world, although I'll go out there and touch them, I'll love on them, but I refuse to allow them to pollute me. And all of a sudden, God goes, "Mm, I am attracted to that. So if you're going to give me a church, give me a church full of touchers. And give me a church full of people who are doing their best to walk out righteousness and holy. Stand with me this morning. Father, I pray over your people this morning. Oh, I don't even pray that you would bless them because you are intent on doing that already. I couldn't talk. I could sit up here and pray to you, Jesus, and ask you to quit blessing them. And you wouldn't do it. That prayer would go unanswered. Because you are intent on blessing us. Oh, let us get that in our spirit. There are some individuals in this room right now, God, that are going through it. They are in pain. Their life is totally broken. They are facing dire situations, ugly things. But according to Jim... You refuse 
to turn your back on us. So this morning, I pray that you would remind this congregation that you are intent on blessing us. You are intent on prospering us. You are intent. You've made up your mind that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When I wake up in the morning, goodness is there. When I go through a tough, hard day, because you're intent and there's no shadow of turning in you, mercy is my traveling companion. And so this, this, this morning, God, I can pray without one shred or one iota, one, one ounce of doubt. I can pray this prayer right here. I can make this declaration about you. There's one thing I know about you. I know it's sure. I know it's real. Here it is. God, you're good. <laughs> the economy won't sway me to believe different. That doctor's report will not change my opinion about you. The brokenness that I'm enduring, the, the relationship in my life that is falling apart, none of that changes my mind about this one sure fact I know. God is good all the time and all the time. is good and so father i pray that in the name of jesus you would enable us to live up to that goodness i pray that we would take the practical the down the earth insight and wisdom that you've given us in the book of james in this first chapter i pray that we would become consumed by the desire to live up to what james told us i pray that we would live out every truth that you shared with us today let us walk out of here Attracting your attention by touching those that no one else will touch and living a holy and a pure life so that you'll want to hang out with us. Because God, hear me. God, hear me. We want to hang out with you. Why? Because you're good. <laughs> because you're good. And so we love you this morning. Challenge our hearts today in Jesus name thank you Lord if you're sitting in this audience today and we never want to end a service without giving you an opportunity to move towards God some of you may be sitting here and say saying yeah I hear what you're saying preacher but my life's just not where it needs to be and, and I need to make a move towards God I, I need to take a step towards God I need God to be the Lord of my life. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to kind of serve him or I used to go to church, but I've been away from God for a long time and I need to experience him again. And there's nothing wrong with that. All of us have been in that place. Some of us are in that place right now. If that person, if you're that person and you're in that place, this is a, a personal decision. I know it's a group of people here, but it's a personal decision. Listen, God knows you can't do it by yourself. He made it that way on purpose. 
He knows you can't change by yourself. He made it that way on purpose. He made you so you would need him. And so he left a void in you that you may have tried to fill with alcohol or drugs or sex or, or, or just sin. And you've done it and you found out that it won't fill that void. It's a God-shaped void that only he can fill. And so today I'd like to give you an opportunity to allow God to fill that void in your life. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up in the air with all heads bowed. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up in the air on the count of three if you need to make a move toward Christ this morning. One, two, three. Slip your hand up in the air. We're going to pray for you right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you now for those that need to make a move towards you, God. Recondition their hearts, God. Recondition their minds, God. Give them a new way of thinking, a new way of speaking, a new way of talking, God. Bless them to know that you are there for them. And like your word says, you'll never leave them or forsake them. You're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Father, Father we honor you today for their lives, God. We give you glory, God. Bless us all here today that we would take this word and apply it to our lives, God, and understand, God, there are ways to be make sure you'll be in our presence. And we'll do those things, God, so you'll be in our presence, God. Because we know in your presence there's the fullness of life. And we just need to be in your presence, God. In the name of Jesus. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.